Sportimity is an app and a social sports service that helps search for playgrounds and friends to sport with. You can find it in the App Store for free. You can also find them online at Sportimity.com and on Instagram and Twitter at at Sportimity. Download it today and find your community. So who's Jesse Zappo? Hi. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm Jesse Zappo. Thanks for listening to the Urban Sports Insider Podcast, and welcome to episode 10, a very special episode featuring Jesse Zappo, a great friend, mentor, and inspiration, not only of mine, but of the entire running community, uh, women and men alike worldwide, and especially here in New York City. Uh, As a fan uh, of hers and everything she's done for the culture, um, I definitely wanted to dive in a little bit and learn more about her and about her history and her perspective on the urban running community. So this is a little bit of a longer episode, um, but we got to really cover some great stories and history and background of hers and the community in general. So I hope uh, everyone enjoys the episode and all the stories that we got to tell might want to wait until you have a little time to sit back and really delve in but yeah we'll get right into it thanks again for listening jesse what's up what's going on hi how are you i'm good 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 good, i had a really wild bike ride on the way over here actually yeah why how um well i just decided to put the google maps on as if i was like driving a car and i had it in a pocket so it was just telling me like in 600 feet turn this way or that way and it basically led me through like really industrial bushwick um but there was a point where these guys were washing this bridge with like power hoses for no reason i don't know why it just looked like they were just hosing down the bridge and i totally got hosed like going through yeah that's amazing it's so hot it might have felt good i don't know so who's jesse zappo so my name is Jessica Zapotechni. Um, my family called me Jesse growing up. Um, my dad's nickname was Zappo. We all became Zappos because he was a Zappo. Um, so like all of my siblings are Zappos. And I essentially am a wellness professional. I'm an art therapist by trade. Um, I studied fine arts um i am a running coach and i'm i would say just a creative thinker um super physically active um and uh for me i've been like put kind of pushing running as a wellness tool um recently but i've been like kind of deep in the urban running community since 2005 2004 2005 um and i currently have i'm the coach and founder of girls run nyc which is a women's only running collective um it's actually a open workout that women can join 
um, at any point, and we have been going for almost four years. We have, I would say, a core group of women that's probably around 25 to 30 who are always there, and then we have new women come every week, um, and it's just really designed to be a space where women can come and have um, running as a piece of their weekly schedule and um, with the least amount of barriers possible to showing up. Amazing. So from being the oldest of eight, being an athlete in your youth, playing volleyball and track, and moving to New York to study art, uh, becoming an art therapist, uh, working with troubled youth, to joining Bridge Runners and starting Black Roses Breakfast Club, and now teaching art and leading Girls Run NYC. It's been quite a ride for you, huh? <laughs> yes. <laughs> In a nutshell, but you've done so much and contributed so much to the culture, so. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it feels like a really long time ago, and then other times, like, I get this Facebook notices that are like, this was you six years ago. And I'm like, <laughs> only six years? Um, so, yeah, it's... That's the weird thing about time in New York. I feel like um, it's really relative. Like, it kind of feels like we're just started doing this stuff. And then other times I'm like, yeah, actually, no, I have some tenure in yeah. in the streets. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I mean, a lot of tenure in the streets. Uh, but we have so much to cover that I want to go fast, but not. But I'll try to keep my rambling <laughs> to a minimum. I have a tendency to ramble myself, but before, actually before I came here, I had like 20 minutes to explain who I was to the GM of running at Adidas. Oh, word. And I was like, okay. And then <laughs> I like tried to like explain my entire existence, like yeah. in a really short amount of time and like, and also talk about like what drives me philosophically. And I feel like it was like totally the elevator pitch. So now I'm ready to settle in. <laughs> well, can I hear some of it? Yeah. Um, well, so one thing, so I'd like to, okay, I'm going to ramble already. So I like to <laughs> ride my bike everywhere um, because it does give me the time to really think. Um, and as I was riding over there, I was thinking that, we currently have really lost this intergenerational storytelling that I feel like is so important. And I was thinking about, um, you know, just the youth of today not knowing who, like, people even our generation are or have contributed. And I think, um, you know, like, that's something I really am interested to do because I feel like I, I love listening to people's stories and I like retelling stories. Um, and so I think that's something that we we owe, also we owe it <laughs> to s culture to like keep telling people's stories so that they're not dying out, um, especially like currently with digital, digital natives, um, young people mm. who are like, you know, going through their daily narrative, they've see so much um, that it's like hard to hold on to anything. Mm. So, um, so yeah, that was just on my mind as I was like going to meet with this very important person. <laughs> and um, 
and then getting there and kind of telling my story a little bit, um, which honestly, when you tell your own story, it's like not that interesting. <laughs> You're like, uh, I've told this story a lot of times and yeah. I don't know if it's interesting to people. Mm. Um, but then he was like, wow, it's like fascinating. Um, it is interesting. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know, I guess it's all relative and I have to remind myself that it's important to put energy into telling stories correctly. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think one of the things I was telling him was just how I've been on this path of kind of wanting to help people, um, which was why I got into art therapy and then becoming a little disillusioned with Western society's way of looking at mental health which is just really to say that people are sick and like try to give them some medication or put a Band-Aid over it or expect them to be in treatment for years on years and just this idea of like creating dependency, um, which I think ties into consumerism. But Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but for me, that like running has felt like the most authentic way to give people like wellness and to really like think about people as um you know just being adaptive like i i look at people as adapting to situations and environments and experiences and that sometimes those adaptations are unhealthy a lot of times they might be unhealthy and then that kind of leads down other paths um but that if you can capitalize on people's strengths and help give them tools to be their best self, that one, that mm. they become self-sufficient and don't have to like rely on medication or like a doctor or psychiatrist. Um, and two, that like a healthy individual is going to make a healthy family, it's gonna make a healthy community. Um, and so it's actually like running for me has been probably the single that and art making creativity are like the single most powerful like tools that I have. Wow. So. Yeah, I mean it's it's an amazing tool. I think I've heard you refer to it before as that. Um, and looking at it from that perspective, it really is an amazing tool just because of all of the benefits, like you said, even you know in my life, uh, just health. Um, you know, phys physical health, mental health, everything. Mm -hmm. It just uh, it just changes you. Um, it's crazy. So yeah, that's really awesome. Um, so I'm gonna rewind a yep. little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, take it back to yeah. the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, do you go back to Ohio a lot? Honestly, I haven't been back. Well, I went to see my sister over Christmas, but. Um, my family moved to mostly Austin, Texas. Oh, cool. um, so I went back to see my granny, who's 101, oh, wow. for her birthday. Um, Strong genes. Yes. <laughs> I'm, like, really trying to be her. Um, and then I'm pro I probably go back once a year, typically. Cool. Well, I was going to ask you what's home like. Um, it may be different now Yeah. that uh, families move, but maybe you can give me like a little um, 
paint a little picture of what it is like or was like yeah so um for the majority of my childhood home was a 10-person household (laughs) um with additional members because my parents are actually like really caring loving people and um especially my dad has this sort of like open arms um attitude and so we often had um friends like brothers friends who had been kicked out of their house were living with us like my brother's girlfriend was living with us um (laughs) wow my sister's now husband was living with us so it was like we had a really big house at one point um and you just never knew who was living there (laughs) um and it was cool it was like actually in the backyard um because a couple of my brothers were skateboarding and um my family's very active like super like outdoors folks so two of my brothers played you know soccer competitively and another brother was skateboarding rollerblading so we had like skateboarding like half pipes in the backyard um and at one point my younger brother was like leading this campaign to try to raise money to build a skate park in the town that we lived in (laughs) okay not in your backyard (laughs) not in the backyard um but we basically had one and it was funny because my dad also worked in manufacturing and so he was at this um tubing place he actually got guys like off hours to build these um to like weld these like what are those things like, you like uh i don't know what they're called i know it's like a <laughs> skate thing it's, um like a rail yeah so yeah, yeah so we had all these rails that were specialty custom like welded in the backyard and oh, it was like ongoing like it was a hub for skateboarders um yeah and i heard you tell the story about your dad like mowing um softball lines into the grass yeah, like yep. play baseball and softball in your yard so yeah it seems like a lot of that sort of thing going on yeah like we're my dad definitely was like he grew up kind of life of the party um guy and had that experience like at his home and really wanted to i think create that experience like with us um so there's definitely like this attitude of like you, you should be having fun, like, a lot of the time. Um, <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah. Um, so, before running, um, what was your life like health-wise? Mm. Like, um, I, know, I know you played sports, but I also, like, moving to New York and bartending and, and going out and things like that. Was it something that you were really conscious of? Uh, it, not even just the being an athlete but your overall health was it like Mm. really a thing that you thought about a lot or yeah um yes but I think I had a very midwestern perspective on (laughs) health (laughs) which was um like like we were allowed to start drinking beer like at 13 like I could have a beer that was like a coming of age um so that's also the latino take on health and wellness. yeah exactly it's like go play softball for four hours and then drink a case of beer um yeah you know i i think like i definitely was super active all the time and so 
playing multiple sports year round and I was very aware of like health in that way um I certainly had a garbage diet living in the Midwest and also because we were we were poor like we were very poor so to be quite honest like many meals were like a giant bag of tater tots and some like Kraft macaroni and cheese not even Kraft because we would have the generic version and you just make a giant pot of whatever to feed everybody so I um we didn't even really have meat that much and it's funny because like I grew up not really eating that much meat Mm. um and I think primarily because it's kind of more, it's more expensive. Yeah. So a lot of frozen foods. Um, we were allowed to drink soda all day long. So <laughs> it was like you had a jug of milk in the refrigerator. You had two liters of Coke, frozen pizza. And it was just like make it work. Mm. Um, so and I was also the oldest. So I also like would often be in charge of like feeding a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's super fun and easy to do like pizza and soda. And that was kind of like a regular thing for us. Um, so it wasn't until I like moved out and went to college that I started to even have a concept of like thinking about nutrition outside of that. And, um, definitely I went to big 10 party school, (laughs) for college too um and i my first boyfriend was dj (laughs) so i just of course yeah (laughs) i went like straight into nightlife like and um yeah i mean i was probably a nightlife person from also my family kind of had a little bit of that like culture of like you know family parties and stuff so i yeah same with me yeah yeah, it was, like, really normal to me to, like, drink 40 ounces um, in college, like, all the time and um, go to keg parties and, like, do whatever and just kind of think that that's, like, a normal way to, like, socialize and go about your life. Um, also was in art school, so you're exposed to lots of stuff, alternative <laughs> lifestyles. <laughs> um so are you telling me you took acid (laughs) Uh, (laughs) you don't have to answer that (laughs) can i confirm nor deny um (laughs) let's just say that by the time i landed in new york city i had already been bartending for a while um i actually had saved up the money to move here by bartending at this bar called ziggy's ziggy's which was (laughs) My dad was so mad when I got this job because, like, somebody had gotten shot outside of Ziggy's. Oh, wow. And he was like, no way my daughter's going to work there. <laughs> and I was like, are you paying for me to move to New York? Um, and, you know, he was like, okay, fine. <laughs> but I, it was funny because I was, like, holding down this crazy, like, hillbilly bar, like, <laughs> out in the country. Wow. And... Um, now I look back on it, I'm like, I was 22 years old or 23 years old, like closing this bar at four in the morning yeah, by like myself. At that time. I was a total kid. Yeah. yeah. Um, no wonder my dad was freaked out. Yeah. <laughs> but this is just who I am. I'm like super headstrong. You can't tell me not to do something. Right. So, um, yeah. So I, of course, landed in New York and I was like, I got to get a bartending job because that's going to help me. I also came here with enough money for probably like 
two months to live off of. Smart. Yes. Yeah, I did the same, actually. I think I had I had very cheap rent when I first moved here. Luckily, uh, my friend Cassandra rent out her back room to me that I think was basically a closet. So shout out <laughs> to Cassandra. But yeah, yeah, exactly. I I moved here. I moved in with a couple. Um, I remember my rent was like $700, which was twice as much as my rent in before I had moved here. And um, I was like, dang, how am I going to make this work? Um, so I like hit the ground running. Like I've got to find a bartending gig um, and start grad school. And um, lots of crazy stuff happened in that first six months that I was here. But essentially, I ultimately landed a really great bartending job and it was it was at um this place called cafe Leibowitz, which is no longer cafe Leibowitz, but it's um i think it's called rin tin tin now but it's on the corner of spring and elizabeth street okay so it was in nolita um what was your specialty sorry well if i put you behind a bar right now and told you to shake up your best concoction oh um (laughs) you know what it's funny because like i got actually pretty good at making cocktails yeah um because there was this whole sort of like mixologist phase that they went through (laughs) so i was like making all these crazy like acai cocktails and like everything was with like fresh fruit purees and you know but um i would say my I'll never forget I, Moby came in because we. This is like kind of a popular spot with celebrities because um, the guy who owned it was kind of hobnobbed in that world. Um, but it was low key, so I don't know if you remember the Pink Pony. Do you remember Pink Pony? I might have missed that. It was it, that was over by Max Fish, but okay. it was like similar vibe. It was okay. just like cute girls working there who gave really bad service. <laughs> And, like, the place is a little bit falling apart. Like, that was mm-hmm. Cafe Leibowitz. Um, Got it. And so, like, Jim Jarmusch was a regular there, and he had a booth in the back that he would always sit at. Malcolm Gladwell would come in. I think he was actually writing maybe, like, the tipping point oh, at cool. that point. Um, you know, so it was random people, and it was a total vibe at night because at that time it was still right off the Bowery, the Bowery was still a little grimy, and um, oh, yeah. it was that whole. It's now like luxury condos, but this corner where they it was just all graffiti all the time, and it was it was a mo- there was a moment in time. Sir was over there. This is when I met Mike Sace because yeah. he was living on the block. Um, but yeah, Moby would come in, and I think he was drinking like these like pear martinis that I made. <laughs> Apparently, really liked it, and I think had like four or five of them. Very cool. Just like, yeah, I just remember I was like, oh, he's digging this martini. Um, okay. Well, but to be honest, like I, margaritas like. That's your shit. Yeah, I like margaritas. Yeah, I mean, I really, even though it's like basic as fuck. I mean, I got really into old fashions. I think because yeah. there was like the first cocktail I learned how to make and mm-hmm. really enjoy myself. Mm-hmm. And so I got really into like making them like perfect. And it's one of those things that only has like three ingredients, but yep. it's just like you can make it a thousand times, and it's like, oh man, that could be a little bit more bitters or something like that. And I just always feel like every time I make it, I'm trying to perfect it even more. Yeah. So I, prior to getting that job, I had tried, I had basically, you had to like go on these casting calls to try to get like bartending gigs. 
and it was really crazy and actually the day that i got that job i had been in line at the limelight because they were reopening the limelight Mm -hmm. and um they were like okay we're gonna wait for the callback like they were doing like second round of interviews but it was like a line around the corner people trying to get these jobs I also, by the way, danced on the bar at Hogs and Heifers. What? Uh, <laughs> no way, dude. I used to love that bar. Oh, yeah. Before they closed, rest in peace to Hogs and Heifers. My first, well, I don't want to talk about my first first job. It was so shitty, the spike delivery job. That was just the worst. But my first, like, real job was working at the Standard Hotel when I first moved here. And, yeah, when I got off work, I'd Hogs go and over and, and go over to Hogs and Heifers and get, like, whatever it was, like a $5 PBR or something, and uh, that place was fun. Yeah, <laughs> it was crazy. I did, That's yeah. wild, man. Thank God I didn't get that job, because I feel like my life would have gotten real weird. Oh, wait, oh, so Weirder. you did it as, like, an audition, but... It was another audition, because, okay. oh, God, I, that's so many stories, but... Basically, I yeah. I was going everywhere, and there was okay. This is a whole other podcast. It's like <laughs> me trying to get a job, but I had gone to this place in like Smith Street, uh-huh. like Carroll Gardens yeah. area, and the woman was like, "Okay," and I had been like brushing up on my cocktails, mm-hmm. and so she's like, "One question: How do you make an old fashioned?" And I was like, "Um, it's." Um, bitters and whiskey. I, you know, I just like said whatever <laughs> ingredients it was, and she was like, "Yeah, no, goodbye." Like, dude, she, I had an interview very similar to that, but that's funny. Yeah, and it was funny because, like, essentially, when I'd been bartending before, yeah, it was really like beer and shop bars. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it was like, yeah, I can make you a rum and coke, or I can make you a whiskey sour. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I was not the mixologist <laughs> that I am today. <laughs> Let's just say that. Shout out to Carroll Gardens for being like a bougie cocktail <laughs> neighborhood back in like the early 2000s, way before all, all the vests and handlebar mustaches like invaded exactly. the rest of Brooklyn. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love that she was just like, goodbye. Too. <laughs> like She was like, no more questions. Yeah. No, I had an interview once where they asked me my favorite bourbon, and I knew some, but I couldn't think of any names. I, I guess I just froze, and I was thinking of Bullet, and I was just like, oh, do you know the one that has, like, the orange sticker, and then they have another one with the green sticker, and what is it called? And the guy was just looking at me like, are you serious? <laughs> Needless to say, I didn't get a call back. Anyway, um, fast forward, so you might you met Mike around that time. Mm-hmm. Um, Actually, I can recall one in particular. It's so funny. (laughs) My memory is terrible for so many things, but then other things. So good. So I remember him sitting at this table. I was at the bar, and I remember him, like, ordering food and, like, eating his meal and then being like, I don't have my wallet. Like, can I just come back and, like, pay for it, like, another time? And I was like, okay. Amazing. I know. I think that was, like, one of the first times I ever, like, actually spoke to him, even though I had seen him a lot. What an introduction. Yeah. Uh, Classic Sace, man. Yes. Um, So, yeah, I mean, that was obviously a big, pivotal uh, moment for you, meeting Mike, joining um, what would become the world-renowned bridge runners um, and being a big part of that family, um, you know, bridge mom, you were <laughs> called at one point. Um, but, 
Yeah, you know, uh, something I was really curious about. So when you guys first started running, it was just a few of you uh, or, or a small group. And, um, you know, you were running in bridges. I mean, Mike even told me in the uh, last couple of podcasts, he was like, you know, you'd get robbed for running over the Williamsburg Bridge in the middle of the night back in the day. Mm-hmm. But um, can you pinpoint or remember any, like, really weird stories? Like something that yeah. something that happened, like, in particular that was, like, crazy? I just, yeah, yeah I can't imagine. Yeah, so um, so one of the first things was that I worked my really good friend Yuki, um, who I worked with at Leibowitz, and then later we were roommates. Um, she actually was the first of she and I to go to Bridge Runners mm-hmm. because Sace had been kind of like putting it in our ear for a while. Um, we spent a lot of time clubbing at that time. So we would be out like after work and doing after hours and all kinds of stuff that you do like when you work in a bar. So um, so I'd already seen Sace like a bunch of times. He'd already told us about his running group or whatever it was <laughs> that he was trying to do or get off the ground. And um, and then apparently like Yuki actually went because they're they were doing this event um, and she came back and it turned out they had done this whole thing with Martha Cooper and she had was like signing copies of her book. So Yuki came back. She was like, look, it's so cool. The run was amazing. Blah, blah. blah you got to go. And the one she went to was like an elevated event that they had done. So mm-hmm. um, so I was like, all right, you know what? I'm go- I'm going to try it. So then I show up and it's just like three dudes <laughs> like on the track in Chinatown. And I remember like there's no bag check. There's nothing. It's just like these three guys. And um, and it was say Noah Rubin and um, it not even sure who the other one was. Could have been Kai Regan, though, because Kai was around like early days. And um, yeah, I remember I just like put my stuff down in the basement of the bar that I worked at and like just ran over um and totally wearing like way too much clothes and like not the right shoes and like all kinds of like weird stuff and I remember those early days like everybody just wore whatever to work out in there was not like this concept of looking cool yeah like running definitely not I want that old school look to come back so bad. Like the white, yeah. dirty tennis shoes, like gray sweatpants <laughs> yes. look. Like I, I, I want that to come back. You know what? There are a handful <laughs> of people rocking that style. And yeah. every time I see someone pop up, it like makes me pretty happy. Yeah, so. it's like, well, it's kind of in fashion because it was kind of chunky sneakers. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah. not super far off from like what's hot today. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I, like, I really wish I had some pictures like early days also we didn't take pictures of stuff Mm. like i might have even had like a flip phone back then or like a nokia (laughs) you know like i just there was whatever it was a different time so actually i have photographs like actual photographs that people took um because back then that was what you did so i remember so people dressed kind of funky we had um this coach terrence coach t or Coach Amazing, as people call him now. <laughs> he Back in the day, he was coaching for Nike. Um, and so they sent him to basically be sort of like the legit coach for us, for bridge runners. And so we were doing – we at back then, we had like two routes. 
It was one route where you would run over the Williamsburg, no, over the Manhattan Bridge and then over the Brooklyn Bridge. And that was like a four mile loop. And you could do it either direction. So we'd like switch it up. And then mm-hmm. the other one was to run like over the Manhattan Bridge to the Williamsburg Bridge and then that loop. So those were like, that was pretty much the classics. And so when we would go through Williamsburg, SACE always was like, we have to cut through like the projects because that's just what he likes to do. Like he <laughs> wants to take you, you know, the way, the path less traveled. So I remember we like were cutting through the projects in South Williamsburg and Terrence had like pink socks on. And I think they were pink because they had gotten dyed pink in the wash too. So it wasn't like supposed to be pink. It was yeah. just like we looked ragtag. <laughs> and I think Yuki was actually on that run and um, it was a couple of us. And we just started getting chased like by like teenagers like from the projects. Yeah. <laughs> and they were like trying to trip. I remember they like tried to trip Yuki for whatever reason, which I was like, why are you trying to trip the girl like the smallest girl here (laughs) there's a bunch of guys and um of course we were like kind of in the back too so and then they were like coming after terrence and they were like talking about his talking shit about his socks (laughs) and i was and basically we were kind of like okay we just have to run faster because it seemed like it was only escalating at that point and i was like what the hell like it was just really crazy. Yeah, it's really escalating in my imagination right now. I'm just yeah. like picturing kids with like bats and like yeah, know, they were like, just like the big cousin comes out and next thing just you know being you're being chased silly. by the whole neighborhood. Right, like it was, <laughs> but it was like entertaining enough to them too. Um, yeah, and so they were instead of it just being like a heckle, like because you get yeah. heckled all the time. Yeah, but this was like definitely turning into more than a heckle, and then I was like, all right. We got to get out Let's of here. Bounce. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like there's always still an element of that um, in Brooklyn, which I like. In yeah. Bed-Stuy, I don't know, like when I run around my neighborhood, like if I run through a park where there's a bunch of kids, like I make sure I like don't look that much, like try not to, to look that much like a doofus. Like I like like <laughs> run straight up. Like right. I like kind of like try to look cool. I'm, like, right. You got to look I'm aware too. Aware. Yeah. Like, yeah, because they will make fun of you and... <laughs> Etc. Kids. <clears throat> cool. Kids are so rough. That's awesome, though. Um, where do I even want to go from here? <laughs> uh, okay. Wait, I have another story too okay. that I feel like is also important. Yeah. Because you know, obviously, people athleisure is a word now, which like it was not even it was not a thing or a word back then, and so. Um, we used to with bridge runners and I know say still does it like you'd be on a run and then he's like oh wait let's just dip over here and then you'd like pull into some like famous artists like art opening or whatever yeah that's like VVIP and then he like just brings in his whole squad of like sweaty runners (laughs) and people are like what the fuck um so I remember that happening and like going into gallery space um somewhere in the Lower East Side and and it was kind of like important. <laughs> it's always like important too. Yeah. It's never it's never some like just some guys opening. It's like someone very important's opening. Like, yeah. And I remember like going in and being in span full spandex <laughs> and like kind of sweaty and it wasn't 
people were not doing that back then. Yeah. And I remember like two people just asking me like, where did you come from? Like they were just like, like disgusted. Like, <laughs> and I, I think I happened to be standing alone at that point. And I was just like, did you feel this cool? This is just how or... I am. I did not feel cool, but I didn't. I also was like, not yeah, like apologetic about it. Yeah. I just was like, well, this is just, this is just who I am. Yeah, this is what we're doing. I mean, I've been in that situation with Sace um, later on, though. Like this, this is when it was probably less of a, um, a a jarring thing to see you know people in like athletic clothes at mm -hmm. like a social event like that you know later on but yeah it w when i started going to bridge runners and that would happen i always felt so like badass <laughs> <laughs> that's cool um cool did you run today i did not no. cool all right next question <laughs> <laughs> um now girls run. Girls mm -hmm. run past, present. Um, what are you guys up to? What's happening? What is happening? So um, I started Girls Run as a pop-up um, because I really wanted to do just like a women's only running thing. And I had actually I had a lot of doubts that anybody would want to do it in the beginning. Um, I think I feel like I grew up through bridge runners and through like urban running, which um, has kind of been, you know, sort of male, um, male led, um, not just here in New York, but like in other urban cities. And so um, me being the kind of person that I am, like, I always want to like push women up there too. And so, um, through the years I thought like well maybe like a women's only project would make a space that women wanted to be in um and I kind of had the experience of knowing that many women could be intimidated by joining a co-ed running group because all of the aspects of running that are intimidating which is like that it's hard um that it's always hard <laughs> that you never know are you going to be good enough are you maybe you'll be like the slowest person there um and so like i just wanted to make a space that had as few barriers as possible and to see like who who would come out if there were less barriers and um so now it's like been it'll be almost four years um four years in december and what's been cool is like we have this core group of women they are just always there and they're really like ride or die um, for girls run. And then we just get new people all the time. And, and it's every type of person is attracted to it. And so many people are actually always messaging me and they're like, I have never ran before. Do you think I could come? Or like, I run really, really slow. Do you think I could come? And I just the fact that they're even like reaching out or interested. And then some of the women who show up, um, it's amazing like it, it's cool because I feel like that's exactly what I wanted to do was to like just kind of give people like a taste of running and see like if they if that would you know be something they'd want to like incorporate into their life yeah. so um, 
So Girls Ride is fun. And, and the other thing about it is because there's this, like, strong core of women that have been doing it for a while, they're always like, okay, now what's next? Yeah. Like, so we just had – we have kind of, like, a leadership team this year, um, which is um, Amira Omar, who I think you interviewed. Yeah. <laughs> and um, Rashida Herndon. They're, like, the two captains, um, and they're, like, just – Everybody loves them. They're so solid. And um, then we also have Rose Castillo and Rosie Rodriguez, um, who've, like, come in this year and have been really helping with, like, events because um, they're both professionals. And so uh, we had a meeting recently where we were just, like, throwing out, like, all the stuff we want to do for, like, 2019. We did actually a big fundraiser this year and raised money for the Women's Prison Association, um, which felt really good. And um, we want to put together, like, a speed project team, and we want to travel, and, you know, everybody... There's always, like, grand, sort of grand ideas of what we can do. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I think the biggest thing is, like, with a women's group in particular it becomes it does become like a lot about like women's issues too um because it's that space yeah if and you don't mind actually uh, real quick about the the fundraiser that you guys had um yeah um maybe you could tell me a little bit more about that too but sure yeah um so yeah like one of like i i surveyed people um on like what they would like to see or do with girls run and it's almost like everybody's like well we want to like give back Mm -hmm. um and this idea of like helping other women in particular so um last year we had one of our members actually had um, organized raising money and supplies for a women's shelter in brooklyn and it was actually super simplistic we just had people like bring stuff to the track and then she like took it and donated it cool and people were super stoked on that. And so then this year we were like, let's pick a partner that we can kind of focus on for the year. We've also been like super, very supportive of like girls got to run. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we were like, let's pick a partner. And so then we like kind of threw out a bunch of different ideas. And um, ultimately we landed on Women's Prison Association um, and they're, almost 200 years old actually which is crazy they're like i think 175 years old organization from the lower east side and they work with women who um are in some way kind of connected to the criminal justice system um and i've worked in that field actually for 15 years or more um it's only been in the last four years that i haven't been working in in that area but i know statistically the reason why women and girls go into the system um has a large part to do with um childhood abuse um physical sexual uh trauma and it tends to lead um women down this road where they end up um incarcerated and then what ends up happening is then that breaks families apart and um, just con- sort of continues this, like, unhealthy cycle. So the work that they're doing is cool because it's really um, 
it's about sort of helping keep families together. It's about giving women, if women do go into the system, it's like giving them support and resources when they come out yeah. so that they're not going back in. Um, and uh, yeah, we just felt like it was a good fit um, for who we wanted to support. So we um, ended up just putting together this uh, basically like gala slash dance party (laughs) um and we actually did it at the standard um Mm -hmm. and um we adidas women supported us so they um gave us funding to help like basically like put it together um we had friends volunteer um to like women like worked the event um we had friends volunteer to dj and then do photography um and then we did a big raffle and like raffled off a bunch of stuff. Um, and so I think we raised um, between five and six grand like wow. for them. Amazing. And yeah, it was cool. Really cool. It was cool because we just did it ourselves. Yeah. Um, and so we were just really proud of that and excited to see like how we can do more of that. Like, yeah. Yeah. So many people are down to support. That's so cool. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, doing lots of things in the community, doing Mm -hmm. lots of things around running, um, lots of stuff planned for the future. Um, What You guys run on what days? So our night was always Wednesday night, um, which we changed it this year to Tuesdays, and we're going back to Wednesdays, so starting in September. Um, I think Tuesday... It's, it is a popular, like, track night for people, um, and we've actually been really so fortunate to have Brooklyn Running Company as, like, a, a partner, so we've been meeting there and then doing runs out of um, there, uh, mainly because the track that we used, which was McCarran Track, has been closed. Um, they resurfaced it this year, and then the other track that's most used is East River and they resurfaced that at the same yeah. time. So uh, there's some conspiracy going on. <laughs> um, somebody hates track yeah. and they just decided <laughs> to take the two most popular ones away. Um, but yeah, so we've been meeting at our Brooklyn Running Company at the same time with Brooklyn Track Club. And at first I was like, oh no, like our, our women's space is now like a co-ed space and there's like all sorts of different runners um but actually it's been really cool because one of the things that is important to me is bringing people together and in the last couple of years with people kind of spreading out and resources spreading out um there's been a lot of like separation between people who used to run together Mm -hmm. and um so opportunities where we can interact with Mm. each other feel like necessary and important for like the culture yeah dope um okay so on an average take me through an average wednesday for you what does that look like with girls run or just life a wednesday you wake up Uh, (laughs) okay so average day for me is well it depends because I was working in a school this year. So, and now I'm on like summer vacation. So, um, so my schedule looks a little bit different, but 
on an average day during the school year, it would be alarm goes off at five, snooze it for a while, <laughs> get up at six, um, try to get myself together. The biggest thing for me is that whatever I leave my house with is what I have for the whole day. Mm. So it's always that process of packing my bag for the day, which is like super important. And so I'll like spend that 45 minutes, like where I'm in the shower and brushing my teeth and on the toilet and all that stuff, like really thinking like, what do I need in my bag? What do I need in my bag? Okay. Um, because if I leave without <laughs> yeah. something really important, I'm like kind of fucked. So if you see Jesse around these days, especially, well, actually as long as I can remember, but uh, you will definitely see a giant backpack <laughs> yes. on her. So she ain't lying. Yep, that's true. Um, and I'm a bike commuter, so yeah. it's got to be a bike bag. Um, actually, this one's kind of small. So <laughs> I, yeah, so basically I'm rolling with my laptop. I've got running clothes. I've got probably yoga clothes. Maybe I'm wearing some of those clothes as work clothes. Um, or I have a work outfit on. And then my bag's got like, multiple snacks probably some meals in there um wow i'm rolling now with my like portable straw because i'm trying to be like better for the environment oh yeah Um, i saw that (laughs) and then i'll have like headphones and earphones and like everything that i think that i need to get me through the day and most of the time these days i'm riding my bike to wherever i'm going so i'm leaving the house on a school day I would be biking to Brownsville going to school and then being like with 16 year olds for the whole day (laughs) um and then leaving the school biking into the city to wherever I'm like coaching because I most nights a week I'm coaching now okay um or I might have a workout for myself um And so now that it's summertime, I'm instead like trying to catch up with everybody that I didn't get to see during the school year. So I've been like doing morning meetings with people, meet them somewhere. Um, Maybe we run or just have coffee. And then I'm biking into an office in Soho, working there, running around, like coordinating stuff. And then, I'll either have a workout in the middle of the day or I'll be like coaching something at, n- at night or both. Yeah. yeah. Um, but usually I'm back home. Like, for example, last night I got home at like 1130 and then I do another workout at home and then I'm getting myself kind of prepared for like what I need for the next day. Is that the Zappo challenge? Yes, it is. <laughs> it's the Zappo challenge. I haven't committed to one of those yet, but... Okay. They're going to keep going. September. September is the next one. Yeah. Although August is pretty good. Like, I made July too hard, and so I made August easier, and people are like, woo. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Even I'm like, woo. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's a lot of FaceTime with people, like a lot of interacting with folks, like meeting them where they're at. Biking around, seeing what's happening, drinking a lot of matcha lattes these days. 
Although it, I have to cut it out. They're too expensive. Yes, they are. I'm like not <laughs> not happy. And it's it's tough. I I tried I personally definitely tried to cut back on buying coffee out. Um yeah. with me um I'm out a lot too and I I tend to um do like little bodega shopping yeah or just buy buying a bunch of snacks at bodegas um yeah. and eating like that and man does that get expensive <laughs> it does it does <laughs> but um any any uh any wind down routine at the end of all of this after your second third workout of the day and your <laughs> uh yes so i actually keep um well, I've been doing the Headspace app, which is helpful, um, and I need to be a little more regular about it. Um, but sometimes if I'm, like, particularly wound up, I'll do that while I'm, like, trying to go to sleep. And then um, I usually keep a book by my bed, so I'll be, like, reading. Right now I'm reading um, this book on endurance, and it's really interesting. Cool. Um, and then... Actually, my, like, little workout thing is kind of my wind down, too, because it's a routine that I'm making myself do every night, Um, and I have to be on my yoga mat, and it's just, like, when I get there, I'm – usually I'm, like, oh, I'm here again, and then Mm. kind of processing, like, the day and how things went and how I'm feeling. Um, So there's definitely, like, kind of a mindfulness aspect to it. Mm Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, that helps me out in the morning. I mean, I've been off of it a little bit um, this sum- uh, during the summer for some reason. I'm trying to force myself back. But for a while, it was like, um, <coughs> wake up, no phone for an hour. First thing, like, brush teeth, coffee, meditate, work, uh, maybe check emails, go to the gym. And it was, like, the same thing every single day. Yeah. Um, a little bit at night too, you know, like put my phone away an hour before bed and read, and then, um, you know, that helped a lot with like sleeping and like winding down. Um, and I realized during the time that I was doing that for, I don't know, it was a while there where I was pretty consistent that I did really well with uh, routine, mm-hmm. um, and I just felt so really good when I was on it. Um, so really quickly, tell me, uh, you, I saw you got your level one. USA Track and Field Coach yes. Certification. Uh-huh. What is that, actually? What so, does that mean? Um, <laughs> what it means. Um, so USATF is like a, you know, credentialing body, and they're also like um, an official national organization um, that does many things um, besides like uh, putting on events for athletes track and field athletes they also um do coaching certification and so i won when i decided that i wanted to do um girls run and i wanted to make it a track workout i said like let me get certified as a coach for one because i do think credentials are important and people look at them and um you know, they're not all that, but, like, at the same time, like, I like learning. So, um, so it's essentially just, like, a uh, sort of 
three, I think it was three days um, of training that you go through. And it's pretty, for level one, it's kind of like somewhat surface level, but it's like everything track and field, like throwing events and, you know, like long jump and, you know, everything. Um, And because I had a track and field like background, Mm -hmm. um, I ran from 13 to 18, which like, it's not a long time, but I have very fond memories of like my track and field days. Um, it was really interesting to me. So I did the level one. Um, actually, it was cool because I took it with um, Niles. Um, oh, I yeah. Yeah, if you know Niles. Yeah, from uh, New York Running Company. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we took it at the same time, which was cool. Oh, cool. Um, and. They have up to four or five levels, I think, but they only, at that point, they were like, there's only like three people in the country who have like level four or level three or something. So, um, and I've only met one person who had level two. Oh, wow. And he coaches in Brooklyn. So, um, it's definitely something I want to do. Like, I want to increase the levels. I want to level up. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's just, you know, I think... There's different certifications you can get for coaching. Um, I think there's like a road running. Roadrunners of America has one as well, which I think is relevant. Um, but yeah, in particular, because I was focusing on like track, I was like, I think this would be a good first step. Nice. Are there any elements of community or training uh, aside from the women only aspect that you incorporate into girls run that you felt were missing from other experiences that you've had that you'd had honestly I think so um so I also am coaching for Adidas running now in New York and um in a unique position to also be kind of creating um some elements of a global framework for Adidas runners communities because it is a global um, project and so one of the things was um, that I'm working on developing like a like a dynamic warm-up routine for runners that you do before you start a run and um, and it wasn't something that really existed and it's also kind of not something that most runners do and that's been something I've always done and with bridge runners mm-hmm. through Black Roses and Girls Run. Mm-hmm. Um, and with Girls Run, we actually got really into, we did a very long extended warm up before we would do any track work. Mm. And um, so for me, I that kind of became my thing. And it was like part of this idea of sustainable running, which is like, if you Mm. can do the right warming up, um, and do the work correctly that hopefully we're not going to like be leading people down paths to injury. So, um, that's kind of like my, what's been cool with girls run is like getting more and more and more into this warm up routine. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things that we did was bring in ladders and doing like ladder drills and like turning it into like a team exercise. So it was like competitive, sort of fun way of warming up. Cool. And also giving people like um, a lot of skills at the same time. And so 
Um, I think that <laughs> that's been like one of the things that's been really fun is thinking about, um, you know, how to continue to upskill people mm. in running, but like in a fun way. And yeah. to be honest, it's like not anything new because mm-hmm. it's actually just stuff you do in like junior high school. Yeah. And so, like, a lot of the stuff that I do with adult runners is actually giving them experiences that touch on, like, childhood. Cool. Um, which I think makes people pretty happy. Yeah, it's like playing. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about, in terms of, uh, you said sustainable running. I, I like that phrase. That's really cool, especially as we um, age. Um I was actually, <laughs> I thought about this the other day. I was thinking of questions to ask you, and I was wanting to ask you why stretching's always been so important to you. Um, I was always the one at a run who would be like, okay, you guys are stretching. I'm going to run to the bathroom because this <laughs> is now when it's the only free time where I can change. Yeah. You guys have fun with that. <laughs> but then I swear, the next day, I had ran pretty hard the night before, like a 10K, and I woke up and I was... Uh, walking around my house just creaking around like Mm -hmm. i mean imagine old man holding his back kind of thing (laughs) and i was like this is probably why jesse stretches so much (laughs) so i kind of answered my own question but that's funny i like the idea of the sustainable running um thing just because yeah uh, if you just like i've heard you say i would love to have running be a lifelong thing for me and yeah. so if you want that you better take care of your body yeah so warming up another big big aspect of that yeah for sure um so as a mentor um are there any moments that really stand out like seeing other people grow and like prs or coming out of their shell becoming you know not knowing their potential and things like that that you might have seen anything that stands out yeah um I think one particular first moment where I felt kind of responsible for other people's growth. Um, well, one, like Lynette, do you know, yeah. do you know Lynette? Mm-hmm. So, um, so I, in many ways, like when I was um, kind of pacing with bridge runners, would like develop very like personal relationships with some of the runners who would come because we would be running the same pace and then we'd be running for many miles together. And um, so I saw a few people like go from not running or maybe sort of very casual running to like deciding they wanted to do a marathon Um, and then like kind of helping them along that way get to marathon point. Um, One being my friend Dorothy and um Lynette actually like I feel like made so like just so much like personal transformation like as an athlete um from when I first met her and she was coming out to run um even I just remember her going from maybe running like 11 minute miles to running like eight minute miles you know which is dramatic difference Um, I mean, if you see her today, she's like a fitness professional. Um, and back then she was working in a law office. So watching people making like very kind of 
one dramatic like physical changes and even myself like mm. seeing myself make dramatic physical changes but two watching them make life changes where they were like actually now that i know that i'm capable of this like it doesn't feel good to be in this job where mm. i feel stagnant or like i'm not being paid what i should be or someone's treating me bad mm. And I got to, like, hear a lot of those stories. I still get to hear those stories with people um, that I train with. And it was a joke, actually, at one point um, with Black Roses was that I was like, we can't have everybody quitting their jobs. (laughs) (laughs) But it was really, like, people were experiencing, you know, all Mm. this, like, liberation liberation and then they were super excited and like also just being a part of this like cultural experience but like everybody started quitting jobs and i was just like (laughs) Uh this is not good like i don't want to liberate people in that way where they don't have like the next thing um but that i mean that was kind of a joke but I mean, I remember when we went to Berlin and we're just traveling around and doing that, having fun. And I was like, shit, I, I just want to do this all the time. And I was like, I <laughs> right? like, go back to work. Like, can we just travel and run and like meet new people for for, for work or whatever, for life? Um, I yes. don't know. Yeah, no, I know that feeling for sure. Um, tell me about... Uh, Describe your style or where you get inspiration for your style. I think you have a really cool style. Um, I was also going to ask you how cycling influenced your life. And I feel like they might go together in some way, but who influences your style? Mm. Interesting. Um, Well, I would say... um, practicality (laughs) um I mean growing up so again we were like very dirt poor like for a lot of my teenage years which is like the worst time to be poor because you're supposed to look cool and I just we would buy everything at Goodwill and um I remember just like kind of being really like sad to like go to Goodwill for the first time because I was like we just have to buy whatever's here and then actually like walking in the door and then being like whoa there's like a lot of really cool stuff here Mm -hmm. and so I just had this really weird vintage mishmash style from early teenage years because you that was how I had to dress myself and so it was like a lot of polyester grandma clothes (laughs) (laughs) mixed with like big baggy pants and like a pair of vans um i hung around with skaters like early on in my high school years and it was also like the grunge era so it was totally acceptable to wear like old grandpa clothes yeah Um, so if you looked at pictures of me from like high school it would be like big baggy t-shirt um like polyester pants and maybe i think i had like airwalks or something and um, and I was also an athlete, and so it was like I didn't have a problem like coming home from practice and just staying in my like practice clothes all the time. So I also was like always wearing. I had like a bunch of pairs of like 
soccer shorts that I was wear all the time. Those were the shit, the Umbro ones? The Umbros, yeah. yeah. I had Umbros. And I think I pretty much kind of dressed similar to how I dress now, which is yeah. like you can catch me wearing like pair of split shorts for most of the summer um i buy men's t-shirts and just cut them into the shape that i like um i am into workwear so i think you know i skateboarding style was always interesting to me it was kind of like functional and practical and kind of like street style um i certainly have been influenced by Mike Hernandez, Herney, um, because he's so into technical clothing. So like when we started dating, he was just like, why are you wearing cotton? Like I just remember him uh. like being like how, like there's all these technical fabrics out here. And like he had been skateboarding and snowboarding and had access to like tons of gear. So he would start buying me like pieces and I'd have like a really nice Gore-Tex jacket or like whatever because he was like introducing those into my life. He still does that. (laughs) He'll be like, get rid of that. Like I would come home and like open the trash and some of my stuff would be in the (laughs) trash. And I was like, okay. So um, I remember you, I think I was asking him for a suggestion for um, like a bike wheel or something. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think you told me, like, be careful with that. Like, he's going to really, like, he's not going to steer you towards anything cheap. Like, it's going to be very uh, specific. And I remember him being very technical about, well, you can get this or you can get this. And it was like, it's like, okay. Yes. (laughs) Exactly. Which has been cool because um, I do, I actually do really enjoy, like, functional, like, tech clothing um, that looks good too. So I'm like super into that. Yeah. But like form and function basically. Yeah. That's cool. Like mis- mm-hmm. mismatched, like things that you can use uh, on the run or, or, or for, for sport or for leisure. Got yeah. it. Um, what was it like being able to run New York city again last year? Oh man, it was kind of crazy because, um, well, there was a lot of pressure, because I was running it for Catherine Switzer's organization, 261 Fearless. And, um, well, one, like, Catherine was, like, uh, a legendary idol that I had been talking about a few years before. And then now, like, in the last two years, we've become friends. And um, so that's weird. It's kind of like, like, she would be, like, Michael Jordan you know (laughs) like it's and but that's also the weird thing is like people who are super iconic in in their own right um but people don't know the story Mm -hmm. and that's kind of also the importance of like storytelling um so yeah I was running it with her organization so there was like a lot of um cameras and press and like they did a whole activation around it and um so that's not really my style when it comes to marathoning i previously have often liked to not tell anyone that i was training for a marathon and then just go run it and then post up a picture of my medal so different pressures involved um we started on the start line like behind the elite men (laughs) 
Wow. Because of her, because she is of who she is. Yeah. And so that was like the most incredible experience was being there, like seeing the elite men starting um, and being like with this group of women, like crossing the bridge together, like alone in our own wave. Like yeah. we were not even in a wave. We were just like, <laughs> they're like elite men. Okay, now you guys go. Wow. Um, but then we, we also had to like fight our way to get there because there's a lot of like pomp and circumstance at the beginning so it was that was interesting that was mm-hmm. an interesting way to start mm-hmm. but then what really stood out to me was that the last time I ran it was like eight years ago or you know it's been like almost a decade and there were just so many more people on the course like cheering and even in places where like the South Bronx, like where nobody was before. Mm. Now there was just everyone everywhere. Mm. And I was like, wow, it's like, that's cool. Um, Mm -hmm. That it's remained such an important like moment for New York Mm -hmm. city. And, um, and that it's only just grown. Yeah. So it was, it was cool. Um, So where do you feel the narrative of elevating women's running sits now? Um, and are there any things like in particular, like that you feel still like a need to progress? Mm. Um, well, it's been interesting in this current political climate because, um, what I have seen honestly, since like Hillary was not elected, Mm. (laughs) um, was suddenly this like resurgence of like feminist ideology Mm -hmm. and um new wave of feminism and um and so many also companies sort of like really marketing to women because they know that women like are spending a lot of the money um and there's a lot of women who uh have money to spend so um, I see a lot more women's groups, like sort of empowered women doing things. Like it's it's cool. Like mm-hmm. I I I like to see it. Um, but I still feel like there's so many things that it just haven't changed. <laughs> yeah. And um, so for me, like I think initially when we said elevate women's running one it was like it was to say like yes we run and we're equally interested in training and performance and we're also visible um Mm -hmm. and now i think that's pretty established for sure but i think that um that i'm still looking at running as this sort of like personal tool for empowerment and um and that as many young women as possible need to like feel strong and empowered like coming into like life as mm-hmm. an adult um so i think there's there's more work to be done probably on the like youth front mm. Um, cause I think it's just a weird space mm-hmm. and especially cause I've been working with in a high school and with teenagers. Um, 
over the decades like I think it's only just gotten a little more confusing for them and like um, I really feel like there need to be more opportunities for people to have real experiences with each other because now everything is so like Mm. digitally um, distant yeah like even though people are like connected they're there there are more failings of like isolation and loneliness so um yeah i think it's a different meaning maybe yeah um how does adidas help you spread your message of elevating women's running and just spreading the you know the tools that you're trying to give people um, yeah, good question. Uh, so, so I actually started working with them with the women's um, division, and they have they have this um, network of women that they call the Creator Network, and um, because they are they've kind of coined the term create the Creator Brand um, with this idea of essentially when you create something it's really like kind of thinking outside of what exists so um it's a group of women that work in various sort of health related um industries or fitness industries and a large amount of us are in new york or la um and then there's some women like in other global cities um but basically what's been really cool about it is that they're essentially like we like what you do already and we want to one kind of give you more of a platform to talk about what you do and then also um potentially like support what it is that you're doing um and so a lot of it like for example this fundraiser with girls run um was our idea you know like we came up with what we thought it would be and then we like pitched it to them to like support and they were you know like very supportive so um yeah with the women's uh women's work that I do I feel like it's just them sort of really like elevating it Mm. um and more visibility and and then also with the Adidas running project that I'm on, I'm like very literally building a community um, and coaching all types of runners. So it's been, that's been a really cool project because it's really open. Like I can be pretty creative with it. Um, and that's been, that's been cool. Dope. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I heard you say that you feel younger now than you did 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, do you still feel that way? And, like, also, what are your fountain of youth? Like, what are some things that you do to help keep you looking young, feeling young? Like, what are, what are those things for you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I am 39. I'm on Woo-hoo. my last year in my 30s, which... Um, What's been really cool about that is actually, like, I'm kind of excited. Like, I was excited to turn 30, I remember, because I was like, people will finally respect me. <laughs> <laughs> and Did that work out? Or? Uh, no, but it was, like, just a state of mind for me. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but I, I've always looked young. And so like a lot of my job, first jobs, like I worked in a high school in Detroit and they security would stop me (laughs) and I'd have to be like, no, I work here. Um, so it's a blessing being on this end where I still look young. Um, and I kind of use that to my advantage when I can. (laughs) Um, but but the cool thing about being forward or turning going to be 40 is that you also really start to give less fucks and you also <laughs> know that you've been around for a while and so you kind of know some of your stuff mm-hmm. so i actually like walk around telling people that i'm going to be 40 like all the time really yeah i was wondering i didn't want to say the I know your birthday is coming up next year, but your 40th birthday, but I didn't want to mention it if it wasn't. Some people don't like that. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. No, I've been, like, throwing it around because I feel really good. Like, I feel good. Like, I feel I'm definitely, like, the most physically fit that I've been Mm -hmm. probably in my life, which also is a little sad because sometimes I'm like, oh, man, if I just would have been a little better with like diet and nutrition and like working out and strength training like before but like <laughs> you can't think like that mm-hmm. like that's pointless so um there are moments where I think I live my life in the way where I just really right now do like what I want to do which feels mm. very freeing mm-hmm. um and then there's moments where I'm like, oh, my God, like, I'm old and I'm still just riding my bike around. Like, what do people think? Like, what does that even look like? Mm. And, like, is my, you know, is my family starting to, like, be like, she's really crazy? Or <laughs> I don't know, you know? It's like, weird, too, because living in New York, it's easy to forget um, sort of uh, societies outside of this little bubbles, societies like, I don't know benchmarks or Mm -hmm. ideas of what maturity is um which i think is cool Mm -hmm. but it's also really easy to just forget and just be in your own world yeah um but i don't know i think that's cool it is cool i i i guess like and that kind of goes back to style icons because i like like a lot of times that you have no role model when you live sort of like an alternative lifestyle you're like, uh, I just don't, I'm not role modeling myself after anything. I don't know because everything that is out there is not what I want to be or like I'm not doing that or I've missed that boat. Um, but like I, one person that I like who's obviously easy to idolize is Georgia O'Keefe um, because she just like lived this sort of beautiful lifestyle as an artist and like you know kind of lived her own way and she just went against convention yeah even as an older woman was just a very sort of handsome like person Mm. and so like I often I just she like pops into my head because I'm like okay well you know, if I don't have kids, it's okay. If I am just a weird artist living in the desert, it's okay. <laughs> if I'm riding my bike everywhere, it's okay. Mm-hmm. The other day I saw this older woman riding her bike through Soho and she was one handed riding it and yes. she had like a monochromatic, like red 
skirt and like sweater on and like blonde hair. She was probably 60s or 70s. Dope. But she just looked kind of like Marilyn Monroe-ish, like just one-handed, like very dangerous. And I was like, yes, that that is a role model for me. Mm-hmm. You know, like I kind of mm-hmm. look yeah. look at people like that and I'm like, okay. Who would you challenge to a race? <laughs> right now down two New York City blocks. Oh, God. Um, actually, it would be really fun to challenge Mike Sace to a race. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. We'll have to see if we can set that up. We'll have to see if I we can set we could. that up. Uh, you think we could? I think we could. Okay. Do you think you could beat Some, him? Yeah. Ye- I would only race someone if I thought <laughs> I had a chance. Um, I'd have to practice, though. <laughs> Okay, if I pulled up your last listen to songs, like your iTunes or whatever, what would that look like? Oh, geez. Um, Kenny Loggins. <laughs> <laughs> Do you listen to music when you run? Uh, no, I okay. don't. But I did start listening to podcasts on, okay. on some solo long runs. Yeah. Um, yeah. Actually, Fleetwood Mac. Nice. Rumors. <laughs> What podcast? Uh, what podcast do you listen to? How I Built This. Nice. Yeah, that's a great one. Yeah. So you've covered a lot of uh, running distances all the way up to ultras. Are there any other running bucket list items that you want to check off? Um. Yes, actually, I really do want to do a triathlon. I know that's not running, but it is partially running. Mm-hmm. Um, I just have to get my swimming down and. I'm running my a 50k in December, and I haven't run an ultra in years. Oh, wow. So I'm like really stoked about that. Um, but bucket list, I definitely want to run Two Oceans, which is an ultra marathon in South Africa. And uh, more trail running. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I want to do a, a try at some point as well. I guess my ultimate, ultimate goal is to do an Ironman. Yeah. At some point. Um, okay. God, I can't believe the time is almost up. So I, I should probably ask you the last question. Um, but basically, um, for the past few episodes, I've kind of been doing this thing. I started with Mike Sace just because, especially his, him being who he is, um, I wanted to give him the opportunity to just to talk. And um, that was fun. Um, I also did it with a couple other guys from – outside of New York, inviting people to come to their cities to run with them, so on and so forth. So um, I'd like to give you the opportunity, too, to tell people, you know, why they might want to come and run with uh, Girls Run and also just um, as bridge mom, as uh, first lady of running, um, as just one of the pioneers of this um what you'd like to say to people who are sort of involved in the culture about, you know, where you see it going or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, cool. So I think we kind of like wondered years ago, like if people were just going to get tired of running and then it never happened, like it just continued on. And people have continued to, like, evolve it in different ways. So um, to me, what's interesting is, like, 
the sort of generations of running that exist in New York now. And um, one, I, since starting running distance and traveling quite a bit to run other places, I still always feel like New York is the ultimate city to run in. Mm. Um, it is so accessible by foot and you can literally go anywhere and see anything and that that I learned from bridge runners um, that even if there's not a path or there's a fence like that doesn't stop the run mm. and um, I just want to encourage people to still explore and I think it's really easy to like hop on an idea that's existed and kind of be like well I can just keep tweaking this idea and make it you know my own but it's actually it's already existed mm. for a while um but like is there still you know a spirit of exploration that to me that's what i love about new york city running is like really being the first person to know what's happening like mm -hmm. on any given street corner and to really have to have that opportunity to be connected or like to be in the arteries of New York City. And I think that you have to be aware and pay attention to how valuable that is, how special it is. Because um, it's easy to also just go on a run and just be like, can't wait till this is over. Mm -hmm. um, and not even be like tuning into like what's around you, um, which is one of the reasons why I stopped listening to music. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I just feel like um, with where we're at with urban running, it's interesting because I see, like, a lot of the folks who were originators are still out there doing it, which is awesome. Um, and then there's new folks coming in, like, all the time. Um, and... I guess I just would like to see more opportunities for us to be able to come together um, and not be worried about brand affiliations or beef or, um, you know, like people's own personal goals, like kind of getting in the way. Um, and yeah, I just like throw it out there to the community that exists right now and just to say like like we need to like come together put our heads together and think about what that might look like and I've had some really interesting conversations recently mm -hmm. um with some folks about different things and you and I have had some discussions about like different things and I think keeping things exciting and fun and like um you know like continuing to push the envelope is important yeah um while also holding on to like what it is that we like have created mm -hmm. um and that's a challenge to myself too yeah dope well i think you've done a great job of creating something new pushing the envelope um pushing boundaries so far so i applaud you for that appreciate it thanks marcus okay.
So thanks again for listening to episode 10 uh, with Jesse Zappo. Um, you can find Jesse Zappo online on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at, at Jesse Zappo. You can also follow Girls Run at, at Girls Run NYC. You can follow Adidas Women and Adidas Running, which she is an ambassador for. And until the next episode, as Jesse would say, keep running weird. Sportimity is an app and a social sports service that helps search for playgrounds and friends to sport with. You can find it in the App Store for free. You can also find them online at sportimity.com and on Instagram and Twitter at, at sportimity. Download it today and find your community.